Welcome to Rooting For You, a seasonal gardening podcast for non-experts. I'm Tess and I know nothing. And I'm Elise and I know some things. Each week we'll chat about one gardening topic and then discuss the effort reward payoff by asking, is the juice worth the squeeze? Just a heads up, there might be a bit of swearing in this episode. You've been warned. Ho, 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 today is a big one. Pretty much all of Elise's Christmases are coming at once because we are finally talking about one of her most favourite topics in the world, bees. Now, Elise could pretty much chew your ear off about bees, so we're going to break it up into smaller bite-sized chunks. And that way, we can also revisit the topic of bees again and again. Our first bees topic is, naturally, should I get bees? Why would you and what questions you should ask yourself before you rush out and buy a hive? So, Elise, just to set the scene a little bit here, why don't you tell us about your bee setup and also how you first decided to get, cultivate, grow, farm bees? Not sure what the right word is. (laughs) I'm not even sure what the right word is. But you are totally correct. There is nothing I love more than my bees, talking about my bees, tending to my bees. I'm obsessed. I currently have five beehives, which is definitely more than I thought I would have when I started out. I got my first hive four or five years ago. I don't really remember why or what was the impetus, but I think I just always saw it as the next extension of my edible farming activities. I was actually gifted the beehive, which I would not recommend for anyone unless you desperately know that person who's going to love the bees. So I started with one and then I thought, oh, I'll have two. That was always the plan. And then now over the coming following years, for different reasons, it's expanded out to five and I'm probably capped out now. <laughs> How many bees do you reckon live in your hives? Like oh, thousands? Thousands. Yeah, yeah, like tens of thousands in each hive. So Amazing. I probably have 100,000 pets in, <laughs> in the hives. And, you know, it is kind of like it, the more hives you have, it is not like chickens. Like I think two to five chickens is not a, a big difference in kind of the effort level, but I would say two to five hives is a bigger jump. So, yeah, I'm, my mum is constantly reminding me we are not getting any more. <laughs> Uh, but I'm obsessed. Give us the the elevator pitch of why anyone would be interested in having their own bees. Well, there are so many reasons of my list, which I am loath to give elevator pitch because I want to talk about them in a bit more detail. <laughs> but what I want to say is, you know, I am evangelical about how much I love bees and how great they are for the environment and for your garden, etc. But I am the first to say that not everyone should have a beehive for a hundred reasons. I really do not want anyone to take my enthusiasm for bees and think that that's a great choice for them to just go out and buy without really understanding what kind of commitment you're getting yourself in for. So I really am going to talk about all the positives of why we want bees, but I'm also going to talk about all the negatives. And I really want people to think long and hard about both those factors before they jump out and invest. Mm -hmm. So uh, the other thing I'd like to say is what I, what we're talking about today is European honeybees. We're not talking about native bees. Now, there are plenty of native bees in Australia and we absolutely need to look after them, support them, etc. But this is my opinion on it anyway. We don't eat native plants for 
mostly in Australia. Our diet, what we prefer, what we buy at the market, they're all crops mainly that have come from Europe. So for us to pollinate those crops, it's a tall order to expect native pollinators to pollinate our introduced crops. So That's really interesting that they don't that they that a bee's picky about what it will and won't or what it prefers to pollinate it's not so much about what it prefers to eat but it's more the activity of how it goes about the pollination kind of works better so like a european honeybee will often go around and get all the pollen from the pears in the area before it like swaps whereas a lot of native bees i believe will kind of take whatever's close and jump around a bit between plants so they're just not as good at pollinating as European honeybees are. Mm. So yeah that's all we're talking about today. Um, Yeah native bees are great but it's a totally different discussion if you're looking to support them and also if you're looking to kind of farm them for want of a better word. Yeah and if anyone does have farm grow have beehives for native bees i like let's like, t- reach out and tell us all about it because it's it sounds incredibly interesting but today we're just limiting ourselves to european honeybees exactly so why would you want to get bees oh, everyone settle in i hope you got a cup of tea <laughs> now first off tess i reckon you could uh chime in with the answer to this one what are we going with what's the number one reason someone's going to want it so that we can grow our plants that's very lovely of you, but I was going to say honey. Oh, honey. Honey. <laughs> now, honey is obviously produced by bees as their food source, but they often produce more than what they need and therefore we can take some. In a good season, you can get up to 30 kilos of honey for you to harvest. Whoa. That's a lot. That's a lot. Like with my five hives, like if they're all cranking, like it's 150 kilos of honey. (laughs) It's an absurd amount of honey. It's an absurd amount. I do not want anyone thinking that that is going to be the uh, regular situation year in, year out, 30 kilos per hive. But, you you know, and like last year, not last year, year before that, I got 30 kilos out of one hive. Like it, they are amazing workers. They can produce a lot. So... You know, with one hive, that's more than enough honey for a family for a year. Like you really don't need more than that. So that would probably be the number one reason people want uh, beehives. And, you know, the honey by it's often heat-treated, pasteurised. They use heat to extract it from the honeycomb because that makes it a lot easier. When you have it yourself, when you have the hives yourself, you are raw extracting it, eating it exactly as the bees produced it. So the flavour, the health benefits, everything is just going to be far superior than most of what's available. Mm. Obviously, you can buy really high quality honey, usually from farmer's markets, things like that. But anything in the supermarket, I'm sorry, but it's just not going to compare. And that's if you're buying, you know beautiful organic honey at the farmer's market that comes with a price tag it does yeah exactly i mean 30 kilos of honey like you know there could be that could be 600 dollars easily if you are buying it and you don't have your own bees yet i would just recommend looking for anything that says raw honey okay that would be like that if there was one thing you could ask for ask for it to be raw first off and then a lot of the other beneficial things kind of flow on from that but Mm -hmm. that'd be one word so yeah raw honey is what we're buying So the second thing people keep bees for is beeswax. Now, this doesn't so much interest me. I do keep all my beeswax, but it's not 
for me, it's not like the most exciting part of the bee process. You can make candles out of beeswax. You can make body moisturizers, lip balms, that kind of thing. Ah. Beeswax is also very expensive. I believe it may even be more expensive per kilo than honey even. So if any of those kind of like crafty things are up your alley, um, you know, keep your bees and then you get the excess beeswax as well. Now, the next reason is what Tess was alluding to earlier, and that is the pollination. So if we've got veggies planted, we've got fruit trees, you know, without pollinators, we're not going to get fruit. And that is what we are here for most of the time. Now, obviously, something like a leafy green doesn't need a bee to get the part of it that we like to eat. But fruits, nuts, tomatoes, berries, all these things require a pollinator. There are different types of pollinators, but by far the best one is the European honeybee. And the reason why that jumped out at me as my number one thought of a benefit of a bee, because I don't have a beehive Mm. at home, but in spring I was obsessed with making sure that whenever I saw a bee in my garden, I was so excited because I know the bees, because you've told me, Mm. I know the bees are essential for my tomatoes to pollinate and to grow. So that was so exciting for me to see um, bees and to think about how I can draw bees into my garden with different types of flowers and things like that. So yeah, and like a lot of people are going to have enough bees in their area that they're not going to need their own beehive for pollination. But then a lot of people don't. Like if you're growing all these plants and they're looking great and putting all these flowers out and you're getting no fruit, I mean, that's going to be a pollination issue. And the Mm. easiest, well, not the easiest way, but certainly the most effective way to solve that is a beehive. The other thing with the pollination is it's not just the veggies and the fruit that we eat that's appealing. The bees are also going to pollinate a lot of other plants that create fruit for wildlife as well. So there's a lot of kind of berries and things like that that we don't eat, that birds eat and possums eat. And that still requires a bee to pollinate it. So by looking after bees and by having our own bees, we're getting more food for us, but we're also getting more food for wildlife, which I think is a really nice kind of side shoot with no effort from us yeah definitely so the last reason why you would get bees is often uh, thought of to save the bees now I will say I think out of all the ways you could save the bees having your own beehive is probably lower on the list what I think is actually more important is to save the bees environment and to save their food source which basically means not using pesticides and planting more flowering trees So if saving the bees is your number one goal and that's why you're here, there's a lot more you can be doing than having the hive. Can I just interject with a question here? Of course. Do the bees need saving? Yes, they do. Tell us about that. So in Australia, our bees are quite happy and healthy at the moment. I mean, the bushfires that happened last year were hugely problematic in wiping out a lot of bee populations but for the most part we've got a pretty strong amount of bees here what is happening in the rest of the world in Europe and in America is there's a lot of bee diseases that are absolutely wiping out bee populations left right and center one called varroa mite we don't have this in Australia because the government spends a huge amount of money keeping like quarantining ships, that kind of thing, to make sure it doesn't come in. Uh, I mean, I suppose the reality is it probably will one day, but while we can keep it out, it's so important we do. And, you know, 
if and when we get it, our bee populations will be under huge threat as well. The numbers are massively declining across North America and Europe. And what this means is that it is much harder to pollinate food. Mm. So the reason that it's so essential for us to save the bees, in my personal opinion, is not actually about the bees. It's about saving us. And the flow and effect of what the bees, like the work that they put into the circle of life Mm. in terms of creating food that we can eat. If we take the bees out of that, then we've got a serious problem on our hands. We actually have such a serious problem that Albert Einstein is quoted as saying, if all the bees disappeared, humans would be dead within four years. Wow. (laughs) So, you know, when I talk about saving the bees as like an issue of like saving lives, like it really is like it's I couldn't be more essential as far as I'm concerned. If you want to eat pretty much 70 percent of your diet right now has probably been pollinated by a bee. What I mean, this is a tangent, but I think it's a really worthwhile discussion worth Mm. having if you you mentioned before that rushing out and buying a beehive probably isn't the best way to contribute towards saving the bee population, Mm. what would be like your top couple of recommendations for what people can do in their everyday lives to, I guess, help or at least not hinder the bee population? First off, not use pesticides. Ah. So do not spray pesticides in your garden. Buy organic. Uh, Pesticides will kill bees. They're very sensitive. A lot of pesticides coat their bodies and actually like suffocate them because they breathe through their bodies. It's really, really horrendous. Uh, So, you know, that's just an easy way to save the world generally, but particularly will save the bees. And it's ironic that we use pesticides to grow more food, but actually in doing that, we're killing the one thing that we need to grow food. Mm. The second thing you can do, and obviously this depends on how much space you've got, is just to grow plants that bees like to eat so grass for example plenty of people have big lawns uh, that's of no use to To a bee to Mm. a bee or to many creatures whereas there's a huge amount of beautiful flowering plants and kind of like meadow flowers Mm. that look really pretty that is a food source for bees so I would really think about if you've got a lawn maybe breaking it up with some meadow flowers and if you've got space for bigger plants There are so many beautiful ones. There are so many edible ones, like even rosemary, lavender. You know, these are pretty common flower, common plants that people have that are beneficial to us as humans and bees love them. It's a huge food source for them. Mm -hmm. So I've got plenty of lists of like top 10 bee plant, bee food plants. Maybe we'll put that on the Instagram and people can check out that. So yeah, wherever you can, plant more things that bees will eat. Okay. That's the two things you can do. So... Summarising back on our topic of why you should get bees. So we had um, honey, beeswax, um, planting um, for, for to help pollination, thank you, um, <laughs> and then finally save the bees. Anything else on your list of uh, – That would be my top four. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. The other thing I want to say here is bees aren't just for big properties like what I'm on. People with gardens the size of yours, Tess, happily keep bees. Bees do really well in the city. And the reason that is, is because there's such a diverse amount of flowers in cities as opposed to out in more rural areas. There's often one type of tree or one type of flower that's really dominating. And when that's in flower, brilliant, the bees have heaps of food, but when it's not in flower, they can often struggle. Whereas in the city, someone's got roses in their garden and someone's got nechium and someone's got lavender and there's always something for them. So I don't want people to be listening to this thinking, well, I'm in 
you know, the city, I can't have bees. You actually can. The only thing you need to look into is checking your council rules about fence heights. Councils have rules about how close a beehive can be to your neighbour's fence and how high your fence has to be if you have a beehive. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much the only two requirements as far as uh, city bees. So so everyone's still in the... Yeah, still in the mix. In the drawer at this point. Something that I've seen around um, is like the rooftop honey. Yeah, it's funny. That was actually the next thing I wanted to mention. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, because this is quite a phenomenon. And there's even a great business in Melbourne called Rooftop Honey. Um, This is a great way for people to have beehives in the city because, you know, the flight paths aren't being interacted with with people because the bees are flying higher than we are. But as far as a beginner beekeeper, I would 110% say absolutely do not even think about it. You are carrying heavy hives. It's a serious process. I think leave it to the experts who have got the right equipment and know what they're doing. Yeah, so I'm aware of like I'm aware of it in the context of people putting it on top of like big apartment buildings and office buildings. Uh-huh. So are you saying that you can also have a yeah, beehive I mean, on top of your house. You could put a beehive on top oh, of your house. Oh, right. Yeah, you no, could. that does sound like hard work. It does. I would not be for it. And I think also when you're a beginner and you don't know what you're doing, it's going to be really easy to say like out of sight, out of mind, and those poor bees stuck on your roof. So, um, yeah, don't don't think that you're going to put your first beehive on your roof. But, yes, plenty of experts do and they do it really well. Mm. And but there's probably other ways us. to support those businesses as well. Well, buy their honey. Mm. Mm. Uh, rooftop honey I know have – a, they have honey from different postcodes and you can buy honey made in a particular postcode, like That's your postcode. Cute. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and they all taste differently. So, And what that's saying is, you know, in one postcode, plenty of people have planted, again, say lavender, whereas in another postcode they might have different flowers and then the honey tastes differently accordingly. So that's a bit of fun. Okay, so I've given you all the good things. Now I'm going to smash you with the bad ones. (laughs) Okay. First off, I cannot stress enough that this is a commitment. You are taking on a pet. You are... Well, you're taking on 100,000 pets. pets. (laughs) These are 100,000 living creatures that you are responsible for and that are relying on you to survive. So I really don't want anyone... To take that lightly, that's a serious responsibility and, you know, with that comes time and expense. So if you're not willing to put those things in, you know, don't invest. This is – we've taken these European bees and we have created this dependence that they have on us. It's not just you sit your hive there and you never touch it again and that's the end of the discussion, okay? This is an active role that you're taking in caring for that, for those creatures in the same way you care for your cats and dogs. Yeah, it's the same questions that you should ask yourself before you get a domestic pet is before – I assume before you get bees as well about yeah. the, you know, the, the the time commitment, the financial commitment, who in the house can do it if you, if you can't do it anymore. So that you know all of those questions. But yeah, exactly. And actually, you know, it's also a legal requirement. So anyone that has a beehive has to register their beehive, and there's a few things that you have to do to legally look after your bees, and to look after kind of the biosecurity rules around having bees to make sure that these diseases, you know, we have a handle on these diseases. So. You know, there's an ethical responsibility, but there actually also is a legal responsibility. Now, the other thing is you may not get honey every year. And in your first year of having bees, you probably won't get honey because the hive is starting up. So 
you know, you're going to put a lot of effort in that first year and there may not be any honey reward. There'll be other rewards like pollination, etc., but there may not be honey. So you've got to be prepared for that. And if there's a bad season, if there's a drought and things aren't flowering that year, the bees haven't had enough food, they're not going to be able to produce enough honey to survive themselves through winter and have extra to give you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, be under no uh, misconceptions that you're going to have 30 kilos of honey per hive every year. And you don't consistently have 30 kilos every year now still. I don't. I would say I really tend between having an amazing year and having heaps of honey and the next year having none. Mm -hmm. So, and that's quite common in rural areas. I think it's more consistent in the city. But yeah, I mean, depending on all manner of things, it's, it's really consistent and that's my experience of it. So you have to just be prepared for that. The other thing is it is expensive to get started. You've got to buy the hive. You've got to buy the bees usually and you've got to buy all the equipment including the suit you wear, the smoker, veils, um, hive tools, the works. So it is, you know, it might cost you $600 to start. And these, all the extras in addition to the beehive, they're Mm. all essentials? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you definitely need a suit. Yes. And there's... (laughs) You know, 120 bucks. Uh, you definitely need a smoker. You know, there's another 50 bucks. Yeah, no, it's all. I mean, there are some things I have that are not essential, and I, but I'm not talking about those. Those things would be in addition to 600 dollars. Sure. Now, again, discussed. 30 kilos of honey in one year might be 600 dollars worth of honey. So I do think in the life of the hives, and you're not buying hives every year. So in the life of a hive, I think the expense actually is well compensated. And you will be on top financially. But starting out... Yeah, it's an outlay. It's an outlay. And as I said, you're not going to get that back for a couple of years. Mm. Once you've bought everything, as long as you maintain it, you never need to buy it again. And kind of like... And also you buy the bees, but then you never need to buy the bees again. So there isn't a huge amount of ongoing expenses. But there is initial outlay. The next reason you should not get bees is that you might get stung. (laughs) Now, in my experience, I only get stung when I'm actively dealing with the bees or on the day that I have opened up the hives. I find then they're pissed off and if I come across one of them later on that afternoon, they will sting me. Mm. So that tends to be my experience with it. I don't – I've never found that I'm just pottering in the garden on an average day and one of my bees sting me. That has never happened. They're not – out to sting you. A wasp is often out to get you. A bee is never out to get you. And it does die when it stings you. So, you know, it's a big commitment for the bee to actually want to sting you. Yeah, it's thinking about it before it does it. It is. Now, I will mention a funny story here. On Christmas Day this year, I got stung on the eyelid and uh, my eye blew up so large that I was uh, partially blind for a week and I looked horrendous. It was... um, funny but also terrifying at the same time now i'm gonna say that these the photos of this is probably one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life and knowing that you're you're well and you've recovered and you're fine now and while i'm 100 percent sure you're never gonna let me post them on the instagram what i will say is a special treat for rooting for you listeners if you spot a lease out go up to her and ask to see the photos because they're so good i reckon if we get enough requests on the instagram for the photo we'll post it so there you go. Tell us if you want to see. It's, it is hilarious. It's a, it's hilarious and we're glad that you're fine. I'm <laughs> oh, like, I'm so fine. And yeah, but I mean, oh my God, I didn't leave the house for a week. I can, <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> 
And, you know, this was all, like, funny and it's fine and I'm not allergic despite the fact that a lot of people who saw the photos thought I was. Um, I actually went to the doctor and they assured me that it wasn't an allergic reaction. It was merely that I'd been stung on such a soft, you know, it right. doesn't get much yeah. more tender area than the old eyelid. So no issues there. But if you are allergic to bees... You know, not that I'm the one to advise on this, but I probably would say don't keep them. Simple as that. Yeah, it sounds like day to day the bees are going to leave you alone, but you have to get up close and personal with them at some point. And so the chances of getting stung are not not remote. Mm. So do think about it. Mm. If you suit up properly, which I would highly recommend, and I always do, I have never been stung actively engaging with the hives. I've got my suit on, they can't get to me. When I find the problem is, is that say I do that at, you know, 11, 12 o'clock, I go back into the house, I take my suit off, I go back to the garden to tend to the chickens or do whatever I'm doing and then a bee will sting me. That's how it's gone for me. Okay, because they're a bit, as you said before, agitated. They're a bit agitated, so that's when I find the issue is. But, you know, suits, if used and worn properly, are very effective. Mm -hmm. They won't get you through the suits. Which actually brings me to another negative is, in summer, the suits are hot and uncomfortable. <laughs> it is sweaty under there. And not only do you have to wear a suit, but you actually have to wear long sleeve top and bottom underneath in your oh, suit. So you're, so you're sweating not, bullets under this. You are sweating no end. This is not like you're naked under the suit and you've got some <laughs> airflow going on. The other thing that's really fun is when you're sweating and you get some sweat that's like dripping into your eye because you've got the veil over you. You can't touch your oh, face. That's Or you get some like hair in your eye or something. It's really fun. Not. <laughs> so, you know, again, it doesn't bother me. It's fine. But it is another negative to the old beekeeping. Now, Probably the biggest negative I would say to the beekeeping is it's really hard to learn at the start. Like I have taught myself, as we've discussed, you know, in this podcast, like I've taught myself everything I know in the garden from scratch. Nothing has been harder for me to learn than bees. What I'm doing, you know, understanding the different diseases, what I'm looking for, what are my requirements as far as being a responsible beekeeper. I've made mistakes that have no doubt negatively impacted on my bees and, you know, probably cost bees their lives because I haven't known what I'm doing. So it does take a bit of time to really learn what on earth you're doing and how to do it well. I watch a huge amount of YouTube videos on beekeeping, <laughs> huge. So, you know, I now I would say I'm, I'm pretty good at it, but, you know, it, it took a lot of time a lot of energy and a few tears along the way to get to the point that I'm at now. So Mm. if you're up for it, brilliant. And, you know, what I've learned has fascinated me no end, but it has taken a lot of time. That's what you've got to put in. Not time actively dealing with the bees, but time learning about bees. And just on that educational piece, like you've got a couple of the bee books on your website that I imagine you've whittled down into the ones that you think are most helpful. Mm. I so have. I guess if you if you're interested in finding out more, that could be a good place to go and check them out as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. They're a curated collection of my favourite gardening and bee books on there, and that's a brilliant place to start. Like, read a book on them and see if you know, see how much your head explodes and <laughs> keep going. So, on the time commitment, I would say it's going to take you an average one hour a week that you're going to be tending to your bees, which doesn't sound like much. But I will say it's not a weekly task. It's not like keeping chickens that you're doing it 
every few days. It's going to be, you know, in spring and autumn, quite a few hours. In winter, not many at all. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in spring, I might spend six hours a day, probably once a month doing it. So that's the kind of commitment. So it doesn't need constant commitment, but when you do it, you've got to commit and you've got to find the right weather for it. So it's a little bit finicky like that. The last thing you've got to do that takes time is maintaining your equipment. So this is like cleaning tools, sanding and repainting boxes, that kind of thing. So it's not a huge deal, but you know, you do need to get in the shed a couple of times during winter and just do a few maintenance tasks. Mm -hmm. So that would be probably the last negative can i throw another negative in there and maybe this isn't a negative let me know Mm. dealing with 30 kilos of honey seems like a lot yeah the actual honey harvesting process is a really big day like that is a two-person eight-hour day and you know you're right you've got to have you i guess you put them all in jars and you've got to find somewhere to store your 30 kilos of honey in jars is the easy part getting it out of the frames in the hive is a whole other kettle of fish which Mm. will require a long podcast that is by far the most time consuming and effort required but then again because you're getting the honey out of it it doesn't it kind of feels like a fun activity but you know it's also heavy like you're carting boxes with frames in them that could weigh 30 or 40 kilos so Mm. you know it's it is a two-person job often and yeah it's a bit of a prick carting some of the stuff around Mm. So if you're still keen, anyone listening, I would say next uh, pointers here are watch some YouTube channels, some beginner YouTube channels and see what people are doing, see how it's all going down. Do an introductory day where you're suited up. So a lot of gardening places, a lot of beekeepers actually offer these introductory courses. You're not going to remember anything you learned, but I mean, as far as like, really getting experience in a suit, seeing inside a hive, that kind of thing, what it's like to be surrounded by tens of thousands of bees at one time, would highly recommend that as like a really good starter. And I think after that, some people are going to be like, yeah, nah. And then other people are going to be like, that's amazing. (laughs) So give that a crack. Join your local beekeeping society. Everywhere has one, including in the cities. Go along to those. They have heaps of information and heaps of people willing to help you and plenty of experts there. So it's a great way to meet other people and to learn. How do you find these beekeeping societies? Just on the Google? Just on the Google. And um, often they have a Facebook page. So that's kind of like an easy way in. Or go on your local council website. Mm -hmm. They often will list them there too. Now, the reason we're talking about this in winter, because actually the time you do the least activity with your bees is winter. The reason we're talking about in winter is if you've listened to this and you want to continue with getting bees, there's a few things you've got to action now. So the first thing you need to do is put your name on a list or pay a deposit for a hive. So you're going to, as in, sorry, as in a nucleus of bees, like a, a nucleus is like a baby hive of bees. You're going to get that in spring, but frankly, there's a lot of people wanting to get bees. There aren't as many baby hives available. So if you want one, it's going to be, you're going to want to secure it during winter. Mm -hmm. So Google it, find a beekeeper in your area, pay the deposit for your nucleus. The next thing you're going to need to do is buy all your equipment, including your beehive, and you're going to need to paint that on the outside to prolong its life, given it's going to be sitting outside in the rain. You're going to want to paint it and you're not going to want to paint it and then put your bees in it the next day. Okay, you're going to want to paint it and let it sit outside for a month Mm. to get rid of all those fumes 
yep, any possible sure. fumes before your bees come in it. So, yeah, if you want to get bees... Is there a special bee paint that you need to use? There are some... Uh, environmentally friendly, like low VOC paints. Okay. I'm sure that information will be available when you're buying the hive. But. Exactly. And the beekeeping groups will often tell you what to do to kind of treat it. But I really want you to do that now. So come start a spring when the bees are available. You are ready and raring to go and their house is painted, dried, fumed mm-hmm. off, everything. So, yeah, bit to action in winter when you get started. Yeah, definitely. And also to start that process of like I think getting into that beekeeper course to to check it out and get up close and personal with the bees, that's a great idea. When it comes to buying bees, are some beekeepers better than others and how do you know like which is a good beekeeper to buy your bees from? Mm, Absolutely. Some are better than others and there are – a lot of different ways one can create a beehive to sell and you know some are easier than others and some as a beginner beekeeper you want kind of the best to get started with mm-hmm. and you want something that has a new queen um, and that has you know a, a tame queen this kind of thing so yeah it is important where you buy your bees from you don't want someone that's just collected a wild swarm to sell you that I think the only way to really know is just to read reviews online, talk to your local beekeeping society, and they will probably have people that they recommend. Um, But yes, I do think it's important to think quite carefully about who you're getting your bees from at the start. And dare I say price would be a bit of an indication of... Yeah. Like if it's if it's too cheap to exactly. be real, it probably is. Exactly. And the other the thing when I mentioned the queening is the queen in the hive kind of determines the temperament of the hive. So if the hive is gonna be really aggressive, then that will be the responsibility of the queen. So what people like good beekeepers do when they're starting baby hives and nucleuses to sell is they'll raise a queen from a hive that has a really calm temperament and then they'll put that queen in your baby hive and that way you know as a beginner beekeeper you're not going to have these like feral aggressive little shits. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. Whereas if someone takes a wild swarm they're caught and they sell you that, you've got no idea what kind of queen that is. Feral. It could be feral, (laughs) little feral. So I think, yeah, spending a bit more money and getting it from a reputable person, as much as that's the ethical thing to do, it's actually going to make your life so much easier. So Mm. it's worth it. So the big question. Is the juice worth the squeeze? This is where we look at the effort-reward ratio of today's topic. The categories are Superstar, high effort, high reward. Completing this will make you feel like an absolute rock star. Best on ground, low effort, high reward. Quick wins and fill-ins, low effort, low reward. And finally, the wooden spoon, high effort, but not much reward. Tessie, have I convinced you to get a beehive in your inner city backyard? Okie dokie. Here we go. Here we go. So, look, it's high effort. It is. So we're talking about, we're swapping between either superstar status or the wooden spoon. (laughs) And I, I don't want to break your heart here, but it's a tight one for me. For all for all of the reasons that you have said about, you know, it, it it's a it's a 
massive decision to make. It's a big commitment to take on and there are wonderful rewards. But then I think about what are the rewards that are my most favourite rewards out of everything that you've spoken about and pollination is brilliant. There are ways that I can encourage bees into my garden without getting there a beehive. Absolutely is, yes. Um, and then the second thing for, for me, you know, honey, brilliant. There are a number of farmers out there who are doing their own raw, delicious honey. And I don't, to be honest, I don't, I'm not the biggest honey eater in the world. So maybe that's a better option for me than rushing out and going and getting my own hive. So I don't want to break your heart with this. This may break my heart if the first episode that ever cops a wooden spoon is my bees. Fine. I'm not going to say it. I won't say it. But you know, I I think you're right though, honestly. I, I agree with you that as far as the effort that I put into it, like the benefits are amazing. But if I didn't love it and see it as a passion and enjoy learning about them, it would seem an effort. And as much as I said, I don't think keeping bees is the way to save the bees. By keeping bees, I've learned so much more about them that I feel like I'm such an advocate and I know so much about it that Mm. I can encourage helping the bees. So I think that's, even if just that by having them, you learn about them, that makes you kind of forward on the the cause or like promote the cause is is another benefit but I agree if you don't see this as something like super exciting and fulfilling as a hobby if you're doing it for the literal outcome of pollination and honey I wouldn't do it either yeah and that's not something that we really spoke about as a reward about that that hobby factor Mm. and that passion factor which is probably dare I say the biggest factor yeah, I think it is for me. Like I just sit there and just watch them. And like I think – I also think about passions and hobbies. The more you know about something, the more interesting it becomes. So for you to sit and watch a beehive, you might be like, oh, this is cool, but like I'm bored after 10 minutes. Whereas for me when I'm watching them and I'm like, oh, that's, you know, pollen you've collected off this plant and that's you doing this and that's a male bee trying to do this. And, you know, that extra layer of knowledge, like the more I know about them, the more I find it interesting. Mm. So that to me is – probably the biggest joy as you say so if it if that doesn't speak to you as a joy it might not be for you it might be a wooden spoon for you but there are so many other wonderful ways that you can support the bees and there as are. we've spoken about in this episode it is just so crucial to you know ongoing food security food security circle of life it's important so exactly so let's do another episode on all the ways you can help them that do not require you to ever touch a beehive and I know that we've got a few beekeepers in our community and I'd love to hear from them about why they love it and mm. and, and what they think of our, our thoughts on this episode. Yeah, exactly. Our pros and cons. And maybe, yeah, there are more pros than what I've even mentioned and possibly more cons than what I've even mentioned. <laughs> so, but look, I think the point of this episode and the point of this discussion is to really just let everyone know what they're getting themselves in for. And now, you know, that's a pretty frank discussion and you can make an educated decision But either way, you know, there's plenty you can do to support the bees and there's plenty you can do to encourage them into your garden for pollination. Rooting for You is hosted by Elise and Tess, artwork by Lauren Janine. You can find us on Instagram at rootingforyoupod or email rootingforyou at elisealexandra.com. And remember, we are rooting for you.